This is the Oanda Podcast, brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we take on the big financial and business headlines from around the world. I'm Nick Howard. Joining me is Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. Craig, let's start with that unexpectedly weak UK GDP data for August. It was growth, 2.1%, but the expectation was for more than half of that. Yeah, it, it wasn't a great figure. I think we've got to accept that the numbers are going to be quite volatile now. Uh, and the fact that we've already started to see a surge in cases around the country, we've already seen tighter restrictions. We're going to see more, particularly in the north of England. Uh, the, the data is going to be jumpy and it isn't going to be as great as some hoped. Uh, I mean, we've spoken for months now about the fact that optimism around a V-shaped recovery was um, was just it was just misplaced. Uh, I don't. It was always going to be extremely challenging. This idea. The only way you kind of see a V-shaped recovery is if the virus comes and completely disappears in a very short period of time, and that was never going to be the case. And even then, it doesn't take into consideration the more permanent damage that it's caused. Uh, I was previously uh, a believer in the kind of night swoosh recovery, which was going to be take a long, longer time to generate. So similar to the V, but just uh, not quite as optimistic, I guess. Now that we've already seen a second wave, it's kind of looking more like a W. So we kind of saw a little bit of a bounce back. We'll probably see a decline again because of the more restrictions which are being imposed. And then maybe early next year, we'll start to see it take off uh, once again if we do get that vaccine, which we're all hopeful for. So, and I think the, the data we've seen today ultimately kind of just reflects what I'm saying there, which is that it's not as straightforward as just bouncing back. Uh, but you, you do need cases to not spike again as they have. Uh, and if it wasn't for the eat out to help out scheme, then the number would have obviously been much worse again. You've got figures like the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane, being very optimistic about UK recovery. Is it good having that kind of spread between respected economists, even if the data ultimately doesn't end up following those forecasts. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to get different views, no matter what it is that we are discussing. There's always going to be a range of views. Um, and that's why Goldman Sachs can disagree with JP Morgan, who can disagree with the OECD, who can disagree with the uh, Office of Budget Responsibility, and so on and so on and so on. There's the People have their own models. People make their own assumptions. We've seen it with Brexit over the course of the last four years. And the the the, 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 the right answer is probably going to lie somewhere in the middle. This is This is all perfectly normal. It's. It, I mean, let's let's be honest. We always used to say predicting Brexit is a notoriously difficult sport. Imagine what it's been like uh, trying to anticipate what the impact of a pandemic is going to be when we don't really know what it is that we're dealing with and how bad it's going to be and how long it's going to take to get a vaccine and uh, and and all of that. Uh, it, it's been incredible and gr- everyone has 2020 hindsight, but it's easy to forget that three four months ago we were going into this co- almost entirely blind. Now we're all epidemiologists, we're all this that and the other, we're all financial experts, and uh, it, it's easy to see what we've we've what's already happened and assume that that was all in entirely predictable it wasn't entirely predictable and i think we have to we have to just acknowledge that the bank of england was too optimistic is it was initially too pessimistic and then when the latest forecast came out they were too optimistic they expected um, q3 gdp to be about 7% below uh, q4 of last year it now looks like we're going to be ni- we're now currently 9.2% uh, below so they've gone from too pessimistic to too optimistic what that ultimately means is that their previous stance that they can 
they, they can afford to kind of hold monetary policy as it is was probably too optimistic. Uh, and there's probably going to be more stimulus needed this year. Their previous quantitative easing program increase uh, effectively saw them through to the end of the year in terms of uh, cash available for purchases. The chances are that by the end of the year, they're going to have to increase that again in order to continue to provide that additional support for the economy. And especially given that that's going to effectively have to be accompanied by more fiscal responses, Rishi Sunak already alluding to a kind of targeted furlough scheme for those industries, which are going to be forced to close once again in the north of England. And let's face it, it's not just going to be the north of England that's going to be impacted between now and the end of the year. Let's talk about that, because as you say, it's not just the north of England. We've got Nottingham, which has got the highest number of infections in the UK. Now we have talk of a more localised sectoral furlough scheme coming in for, as you say, these areas. Are you expecting to see the back and forth on these kind of schemes indefinitely? Well, they'll be in place until we feel like we're getting on top of the virus and ultimately that comes with a vaccine. When you don't, Until that point arrives or until you do get herd immunity, then yes, these, these support measures are going to be necessary. I understand the government's reasoning for wanting to shift to a more kind of European uh, approach as far as the furlough scheme is concerned. You do you, you, you do see that there was, there's a lot of businesses who were keeping staff furloughed that there was no long-term prospect in terms of re- retaining that employment and that maybe a more niche targeted approach was necessary but once you start telling businesses that they have to close their doors again that that is not uh, sustainable that is not uh, that is not suitable uh, support scheme for those businesses who have to close their doors because as per the new scheme employees have to work a third of their previous hours well they can't do that if the doors aren't open sure. so, so separate measures are going to be necessary and it's, we're going to continue to see and need to see this very um, responsive uh, approach from the government we'd all like the government to do a better job I don't think anyone would say that this government has done a great job as far as this crisis is concerned. But again, you have to almost allow for a little bit of slack in that this has been an unbelievable crisis. And every government around the world, possibly barring Germany, is going to be criticised for its handling of it. Right, let's switch to the US. We've got President Trump saying he'll be returning to public campaigning this weekend. Um, His doctors saying that he's reacted very positively to the treatment he received after contracting coronavirus. Now, could he claw his way back up the polls by election day, do you reckon? I mean, I think that's going to be unbelievably difficult at this stage. There's only a few weeks to go. Um, you saw that, for example, Boris Johnson had a bit of a uh, a bit of a boost when he uh, contracted COVID uh, in the polls. Uh, they, maybe the kind of sympathy vote, uh, but we don't seem to have seen that with Trump. And if anything, actually, it seems that Biden has widened his lead rather than the other way around. I mean, you look at a number of different sites, uh, and they all seem to be pointing in the same direction, which is that he's got an incredibly difficult task uh, on his hands now, um, and, and it's becoming increasingly more difficult, which is. Probably Probably why he wants to desperately get out back out on the campaign trail. He wants to continue to fight. He wants to he wants to continue to uh, do whatever he can in order to try uh, and close this gap. And ultimately, he wants to close the gap enough so that he can contest it. He wants to be able to contest it and uh, suggest that the postal votes was a massive um, uh, factor uh, in, in in any defeat should that materialise. And the, the the way the polls are heading now, that's going to be increasingly uh, difficult. Something that's come at an extremely unfortunate time for the president and when you're looking at this purely from a markets perspective because we don't really want to view it politically uh, when you're looking at it from a markets perspective we're seeing 
almost more optimism in the markets right now. And I think a lot of people want to attribute that to the prospect of more stimulus uh, coming uh, in the in the next few weeks ahead of that election campaign. And I'm just curious as to whether there is more to it than that, whether the lead for the growing lead for Joe Biden in the polls is potentially more to do with it and not because the markets necessarily favor uh, a Biden president over a Trump presidency. Trump guarantees tax cuts. Uh, Trump guarantees deregulation. These are typically quite good for uh, financial markets. But I think the last thing that the financial markets want is uh, is for this to end up in the courts and for a result to be so close that it's getting legally contested. And the, the, the more of a lead we see for Joe Biden in the polls, the less chance there is of that happening. So it's going to be curious to see uh, how that materialises now over the next couple of weeks and whether Trump can claw this back so late in the day. But the gap seems so wide now, it seems really highly unlikely. You mentioned stimulus. This has taken another surprising twist after President Trump seemed to shut down stimulus talks altogether with the uh, the Democrats by Twitter, saying that the talks basically weren't going anywhere. That puts the Democrats in quite a strong position, I would say, because if stimulus talks don't go anywhere as they seem not to be at the moment no one can say that it is their fault yeah absolutely and it seems that trump's really um taken a bit of a gamble uh, there and maybe this is something that we're going to become we're going to see a lot more of over the course of the next few weeks he knows much better than anyone that he's uh, lagging in the polls and i do feel like he would uh, not be averse to taking big risks in order to try and close it i don't think he wants to go out on a whimper i think he'll want to go out swinging uh, we've seen obviously his changing views as far as uh, covid is concerned since leaving the hospital he want he, he for example comparing it to flu once again uh, on twitter i don't think that's maybe something he'd have done if the polls were a bit closer. I think he'd have played it a bit more cautiously. Uh, and, and I think you think that's he's thinking it through in that sense? Because he has been more uh, a bit more volatile on Twitter than perhaps he has been even in the past recently. Yeah, and I think the polls are the reason for that. I think I think I feel like he need, he he probably feels that he needs to take more risks and he needs to be um, a little bit more ambitious in terms of uh, in, in terms of what is going to be needed in order to close these polls in the final few weeks. And I feel like the stimulus talks calling them off may have potentially been another example of that because it wasn't just it it, it didn't really seem to get much support in terms of the Republican Party. Um, it seemed to be a bit of an own goal. Uh, it kind of reminded me a couple of years ago during the government shutdown. That, that famous video of him and he sat in a room with uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and discussing and, and, and it kind of Chuck Schumer effectively kind of goaded him into taking responsibility should the government shut down set effectively saying that he would be proud to shut the government down if it meant uh, continuing to for, trying to force the issue on getting the funds for the border wall now I think at the time he probably thought that was a bold thing but the polls immediately showed that that did not get the backing and effectively what he'd done is taken full responsibility for a government shutdown and we we saw a change uh, in tone from him in the aftermath of that. And I wonder whether this was a similar kind of uh, mistake from Trump. He took a bold move. He took a bold decision. The markets clearly immediately told him what they think of that. He probably um, saw the comments coming from uh, his fellow Republican Party members. And about five hours later, he was tweeting about a piecemeal deal approach that we should be trying to push for just the paycheck support and just for the airline support. And I think that was probably a response to what he'd seen to his um, his previous comments on Twitter. And now again, the Democrats have rejected the piecemeal approach and it seems that we're talking about a deal uh, once again. I think we're going to see more uh, more kind of risk-taking like this from Donald Trump in the final few weeks because 
he is not the type of president who will want to go out on a whimper. I think he's going to want to go out swinging. And if that means taking big risks in order to try and uh, close the gap and give himself a chance, then I think that's exactly what he's going to do. How far do you think he would take it with that kind of swing approach? Because that is a potentially dangerous situation for somebody who can be as unpredictable as President Trump. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that could be potentially the concern uh, for some people. And maybe that's one of the reasons why um, the, the kind of Biden stretching into the lead may be, be being perceived more positively now than it would have otherwise been. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I think uh, I think the comments with regards to COVID and the flu comparison again probably shocked a lot of people, uh, given the given the the, the sheer scale uh, of what COVID has done, and given how many uh, how many people around the world and in the US have died. Um, I, I feel I feel like that kind of shocked a lot of people. Um, and again, I do. I do wonder whether this is just a a big risk taking uh, strategy as far as Trump is concerned. Only we'll only we'll only see over the next few weeks, and um, uh, and then we'll be able to judge it more, uh, judge it better in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But like I say, I don't feel like he's the type of president who's going to go out on a whimper. I do think he's more likely to take bigger risks. So it's something that we should potentially be prepared for, uh, as far as from a market's perspective. A final question on stimulus before we move on. We've looked at it from the political point of view, but of course the whole point is that. There are a lot of Americans and a lot of American businesses who actually need this money. What's the economic impact if there isn't a stimulus package? It's always going to be difficult to measure, but if you take the words from the Fed and from Jerome Powell, you'd suggest it's going to be quite severe. Jerome Powell has repeatedly pushed Congress to agree on a fiscal stimulus package, saying effectively the Fed can't just lift all the weight, that that the Congress needs to do its job, that people do need support, that businesses will be forced to close if we don't if you don't extend the program which expired that was agreed earlier this year, and that a big stimulus package. I think he's previous recently said that basically uh, too little is far more. Far more uh, damaging than too big so that the, the Congress needs to uh, form an agreement on this or people are ultimately going to suffer and that unemployment is going to rise and that people are going to be hard up and I think that's one of the reasons why Trump again has been pushing for more stimulus um, over the last couple of weeks which again made the the tweet of a couple of days ago all the more surprising calling off the talks because he doesn't want to be the president uh, he, he doesn't want people to be going into the polls feeling worse off because ultimately the finger of blame has to point somewhere and we all we know all too well here in the UK and in other countries around the world that when people are feeling hard up the the, the finger typically gets pointed at those in charge sure and going into the polls one of the perceived strengths of him as a president has been on the economy money in the pockets and on jobs isn't it exactly Um, right let's move over to the oil price this week has uh, been rising what's behind that so there's been a few factors, to be honest. I mean, the, there was the early week optimism when Trump uh, emerged from hospital and it seemed that, uh, that, that that he was his health was improving. That was seen as a market positive. Uh, there was the idea that, that we can continue the campaign trail, that, that there's not going to be any disruption to uh, the elections themselves. Because um, uh, the, uh, there's the old saying, the old cliche at this point, the market hates uncertainty. Uh, and, and one of the presidential candidates, the, the incumbent, uh, being un- unwell and potentially uh, having the potential to become severely unwell given uh, his age, etc. Uh, th- th- this was uh, a, 
an, an area of uncertainty as far as the markets were concerned. So we did see that little bit of sentiment bounce back earlier in the week, and that did uh, lift oil prices uh, alongside it. But the two biggest factors really have um, have been uh, coming from elsewhere. There's the the more domestic issue, which is the uh, we're in the midst of hurricane season. There's still eight weeks to go. There's been an enormous amount of hurricanes as far as the US is concerned this year. We've moved into the Greek alphabet as far as naming is concerned. We're now it's Hurricane Delta that was approaching the Gulf, and um, it, it's for, it's forced a lot of closures. Uh, the Gulf um, offshore uh, industry accounts for around 17% of US crude output, uh, so obviously a, a very significant uh, amount, and an, an awful lot of that has actually been forced to shut in uh, effectively with evacuations, etc., because of the strength uh, of this hurricane and where it's headed. Um, uh, and it's today been revised up to a category category three storm uh, as it's about to make landfall later in the evening on Friday evening in the US. Uh, so the, the, this temporary shutdown and the, the the damage that it could potentially cause and what it means therefore for US output means that that's bullish as far as prices are concerned. So that's one of the reasons why we've seen oil prices rising over the course of this week as the hurricane has approached uh, the Gulf of Mexico. The other one uh, is in Norway. Uh, obviously, Norway is one of the world's largest oil producers, produces around 4 million uh, barrels of oil equivalent per day. And uh, there's been strikes. Uh, Put that in six. perspective for me. Sorry, 4 million out of what? out of just shy of 100 million at the peak. Mm. So just at the peak, I think it was around 99.7 million barrels a day. Uh, and now it's now with the production cuts, et cetera, that we've seen over the course of this year, we're probably just shy of 10% below that, below those levels, maybe a bit less shy, maybe about 7 or 8% shy of those levels. So Norway's obviously a significant oil producer. Mm. And the strikes that we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks have meant that more oil production is effectively going offline, more shut-ins in Norway as well at this moment in time. It accounts for around 330,000 barrels per day, uh, oil equivalent. But they think that if this carries on to the middle of next week, there will be more shortings, there will be more people joining the strike, and that could actually rise to just shy of a million barrels. I think it's around 966,000 barrels. So that's around 25% of total Norwegian output could be offline by the middle of next week. Again, a hugely, hugely significant number. So you combine these two forces in particular, uh, and it's no surprise that we've seen oil rally 10% over the course of this week. The flip side of this is that longer-term pressures remain tilted to the downside because demand... Uh, is still a major issue as far as the global economy is concerned, heading into a troubling winter period when there could be more restrictions on business, when there could be more restrictions on travel. Uh, and therefore, the longer-term risks still remain tilted to the downside. So we've seen a 10% rally this week. If these situations do resolve themselves, i.e. if the hurricane passes without too much damage, which means the oil industry can reopen again quite quickly, and if the strikes are resolved prior to, the, to Wednesday next week, which seems to be an important date as far as these negotiations are concerned, then... There could be potentially a, a, a significant swing in the in the other direction. But are you really expecting it to have much of an impact on, say, inflation? No, I don't. No, I don't think it'll have any impact on inflation because I don't think it'll be sustained for long enough. Mm. Right. Let's look ahead to other events taking place that week. Um, first of all, that European Council summit, which we were told was going to be the big deadline, Boris Johnson's deadline for a Brexit deal to be completed, or that he would walk away from talks. To my mind, the warm noises that we're hearing on both sides over the past few days means 
I would say that's unlikely now. Yeah, the, I can't imagine he's going to be walking away from talks. It would be an extreme situation. I mean, he's, he's, he's suggested previously, it's not necessarily that there needs to be a deal by this date, although both sides have previously said that this is kind of the deadline, but we all know what deadline means as, as far as Brexit is concerned. It's more of a target than it is a firm uh, conclusion. He's previously effectively said that we need to we need to be at a point when a deal is likely by this date. And, and I think the noises, like you say, the warm noises that we're, see, we're hearing do seem to suggest that a deal is looking increasingly likely so to call it off next week would be absolutely incredible if I'm honest so I don't anticipate that that's going to be the case we're going to see these negotiations continue until the end of October I imagine that Michel Barnier uh, and Ursula von der Leyen etc are going to be at this summit uh, laying out the effective groundwork for the broad scope of the deal with the final issue still to be ironed out being the obvious uh, access to UK fishing waters and uh, level playing field. I think the And I think these issues will ultimately be ironed out because can you honestly imagine a situation where we're getting to the end of this year, we're in the midst of a pandemic, unemployment in the UK is around 8% or going to be rising to 8% at some point in the early part of next year and we're having to deal with no deal Brexit because we couldn't agree on level playing field uh, issues which is something that is commonplace as part of these trade talks I think it would be an incredibly surprising turn of events whereas we've been talking over the years I think I've always been confident that a deal is just going to happen because just simply based on it makes far more sense for it to happen than not that glass half full approach Um, (laughs) it's got me in troubled waters to be fair over the course of the last (laughs) few years Uh, What else are you looking ahead to next week? I mean, we can't look past the election right now. Uh, I said on the business breakfast yesterday when we were talking about the day ahead, I was like, we can always talk about the ECB minutes. We can talk about some economic data, which is coming out. But ultimately, if you want to see what's going to be driving the markets, just keep a close eye on Trump's Twitter account. And I think that very much does apply as far as next week is concerned. The election is everything right now. Um, So Trump's Twitter account is always going to be key as far as that's concerned, because that's how he communicates with the broader public. Um, Then the, the start of earnings season, next week should be interesting Uh, I think it's just going to be interesting to see how people actually react to earnings season when you've got so much uncertainty particularly around the the US election itself if you're into uh, your tech stocks then the release of the new Apple iPhone, the 5G iPhone, I think will be an interesting event as well. See if people can get excited about that, given that the the, the excitement seems to have pulled back as far as these tech stocks are concerned. And then obviously you've got all the usual economic data releases and everything, but I do think that will almost fall by the wayside, given the election Brexit, obviously, which we've just been discussing. I think these two are the kind of mainstays as far as the, the major events are concerned. Craig, thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure speaking to you. That's Craig Earlham, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. It's available anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Nick Howard. We'll speak again next week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.